You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. These last two weeks, and today's the third Sunday, we're talking about the, the, the why. What's our purpose? What's our cause? What's our reason for getting up in the morning? And on the back of the bulletin is, in fact, the full statement of the why. And I'm going to read it to you this morning. But as I said, we've covered the first two paragraphs over the last two weeks. And this is a sermon series that I would really encourage you to go back and listen to if you've missed, if you haven't been with us before. And we're going to be zeroing in on that third paragraph. But I'm going to read the whole thing so you can get the the feel for it. It reads, The world in which we live is beautiful yet broken. And many people have been forced to settle or merely survive. We want to see all people thrive the way God intended. We believe that God's only son, Jesus Christ, provides a different vision for everyone to experience the gift of abundant, everlasting life in our world today. As followers of Christ who are a part of God's creation being redeemed, we are a work in progress. We believe this restoration is inseparable from our salvation. The best life, the life God intends for us all, is an integrated life that is unified and centered in Christ Jesus. Jesus, in his relationship with us, seeks to be reflected in the everyday and ordinary places where we work, study, and play. We follow Christ by serving others like he did. Our desire is for the common good of all, for every person to blossom into their fullest and best selves. The legacy of our shared journeys of faith will reside not in a building or other material resources, but in the ongoing story of changed lives, of reconciled and restored relationships, of redeemed and resurrected individuals, marriages, families, and neighborhoods. We believe that legacy is within every person's grasp right now. That's our why. That's our sense of where God's leading us in the future. And as you probably caught... At the heart of this why, at the heart of this whole narrative, this whole vision, is this theme of flourishing. And if that's a new word or an unfamiliar word, flourishing, broadly speaking, is about thriving. It's about excelling. We flourish as we grow, as we learn, as we mature. Our creator, our God's intent for his creation from the very beginning was to flourish, As a part of God's creation, as we who are made in the Lord's image, God cares about who we are as human beings. He desires to develop us, in fact, into a certain kind of people, persons who learn, who grow, and mature into our best selves. In fact, we read and we look around, and our Father ordered and structured creation to work in a way that benefits this life he has given us, that enables us to excel and become who we were created to be. But that world is not what it once was. Everything, if you know this story, went wrong. Everything went wrong. Life as we now experience it became broken when we decided to go our own way, when we decided to make our own rules instead of living life according to our Heavenly Father's design and instructions. And all that was lost in that moment, in that tragic moment, is what is known by this beautiful Hebrew word, shalom. 
You probably have heard that word before, shalom. We talked about it last week. Shalom is more than this idea of peace. Shalom has to encompasses this idea of wholeness, of wellness and health in all of our being, in all of life, materially, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. Shalom is the biblical vision of flourishing. Shalom is the world, this universe, all creation, our life together, working the way it was meant to be. And the reality is, what brings us here together is recognizing there is no shalom, there is no wholeness, there is no lasting flourishing apart from our creator. But the good news is that from the minute everything fell apart in the beginning, the minute everything fell apart, God promised, despite our rebellion and rejection, God promised, no matter how much worse we made things, God promised he would set things right. And the Lord was so committed to this desire for us, he came down to us in the person of Jesus Christ to clear the way, the forgiveness of all of our sin, and to reveal the truth that death does not have to be the end of our story. But Jesus is not only the way and the truth, Jesus is the life. The gospel is more than the forgiveness of our sins and our salvation from death. The gospel speaks into everything in the middle there. Because Jesus is not only the way and the truth, Jesus is the life. The gospel, the good news in Christ, is that God comes in Jesus to give us the life we were always meant for. A full and abundant life. And that's what we're talking about. That's what we're pointing to when we talk about flourishing biblically. You have Romans 12 open, and this is a passage we're going to read this morning because this is yet another scripture. We've looked at a couple that present this picture of the kind of life that God not only intended for us, but promises to us, offers to us in Jesus Christ. These are Paul's words from a letter he wrote to the Romans. After a lot of rich theology explaining the gospel, Paul gets very, very practical about what our life together in Christ can be, what it ought to look like. So I'm reading to you again from Romans chapter 12. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never lack, be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul, very practically, very tangibly, very specifically, is tapping into something we've already talked about. We flourish, we thrive as human beings as we remain rooted in Christ, as we abide in Jesus. And as we spoke about last week, abiding in Christ, that wonderful language from the Gospel of John when Jesus talks to his disciples, abiding in Christ is about following Jesus. It's about learning from and living like Jesus. One way to think about why Jesus comes is Jesus comes, yes, to forgive our sins, yes, to save us from death, but in the middle, which is so important, Jesus comes to show us what it means to be truly human, what it looks like for us to flourish as God intended. I mean, and that's why one of the fascinating things that we see is that Jesus, in everything he does, everything he says, he continually does not point to himself, but everything he does, he does as his father tells him and leads him. Jesus himself remains rooted in the word of God and directed by the Holy Spirit. And we flourish as we follow. We trace Jesus' footsteps, his attitudes and practices, as we let our Father lead and direct our every day, rather than busily worrying and trying to manage and control our lives. This idea of abiding, this understanding of following Jesus is less of an action we do and more of a posture we adopt Living by grace, following Christ, is more than a one-time choice. It's a daily practice that eventually becomes a habit. A habit is an intentional, conscious posture that reorients, that renews and reforms our thoughts. And following Christ needs to become an intentional, conscious, daily posture where we allow our decisions, our actions, our thoughts to be reoriented, to be renewed, to be reformed into the character of Christ. But developing such a habit, just like embracing Jesus for the first time in faith, is not about what we initiate or achieve by ourselves. This is so important. Jesus knows, we talked about this last week, Jesus knows we cannot follow him without a power beyond ourselves, a strength we do not possess on our own. And that's why in that beautiful passage from John at the end of his gospel, Jesus talks about sending us the counselor, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, his spirit to empower us to flourish so that we can be empowered and led and guided and instructed to gradually become who we were meant to be, all we were created to be. 
And that's why you hear Paul here. Paul's echoing this. When Paul speaks of not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead being transformed by the renewing of our minds, Paul is pointing to this habit, this habit that the Spirit develops in us. And Paul stresses, he comes right out and says, this is the only way, this habit is the only way we can truly know God's will and thus flourish. Also notice how Paul expresses this. Notice the passive voice that Paul uses. Paul does not say we transform ourselves. Paul says we are transformed. It is the spirit working upon us and us yielding to the work of that spirit that we are transformed, that our minds are renewed, that our lives are changed. In other words, it's all grace. It's all grace relying on, yielding to, responding to the prompting, the direction, and the wisdom of God through his word and by his spirit. It's all grace. Paul, in fact, pushes it even further. Paul says it's not just grace, but Paul describes this posture of living, of reliance and dependence, of abiding, of following Jesus. Paul comes out and says, doing this with our whole selves, this is our daily act of worship. Hear that, beloved. This, what we're doing right now, is worshiping, but this does not encompass the whole of worship. Every day, living, abiding, resting, relying upon the Spirit of God and being rooted in the Word of God, this is how we worship. Paul goes on in other letters and talks about how truly living this way leads to growth. I mean, nothing that lives remains stagnant. And biblically, as we talked about again last week, the sign of our flourishing in Christ is always evidenced by fruit. Flourishing results in fruitfulness. Abiding in Christ, following Jesus, by resting on his word and living out of his spirit will result in what Paul calls elsewhere the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness. All of these things will blossom in how we encounter and experience our circumstances and relationships. Now here in Paul, in Romans, what we just read, Paul doesn't directly invoke the fruit of the Spirit that he mentions in another letter to the Galatians, but if you hold that that description of the fruit of the Spirit up to what he does outline here, it totally parallels. Because what Paul describes as the way of life that we can have, our way of being in Christ, how we can engage and interact with others, it's just describing the fruit of the Spirit, how it's not just seen but tasted what it actually looks like in our lives. But we come this morning, this is, that was all kind of setting the stage for where we've been. We come this morning to this understanding, this third piece of understanding flourishing, and it's this. Flourishing is not just about the individual. Biblically, flourishing is about the community. Flourishing is not just about me. Flourishing isn't just about you. Flourishing is about us. This shouldn't surprise you. The Bible The word of God that we just put in the hands of our third graders that you're holding right now, the Bible is written first to a people in a community, not isolated individuals. That doesn't mean that the Bible isn't personally applicable. It is. But here's the thing. Independence is not taught in the Bible. Hear that. Independence is not taught in the Bible. Interdependence is what the Bible is about. The Bible emphasizes community. In the very first chapter of Genesis, think about it. God says, let us make humanity in our image. Scripture calls us to connectedness from the very beginning. God creates us as relational beings because we were created in the image of a relational God. We worship a relational God who has always existed in community as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so God creates us in his image as relational beings. 
He creates us to be in relationship with him, but he also creates us to be in relationship with each other. Another way of saying this is that beautiful Hebrew word shalom, the way things are supposed to be, shalom, is about a right relationship with God, which in turn results in a right relationship with each other. And that's why the whole Torah, meaning the whole of what's called the law, the God's instructions for living, God's design for life, can be boiled down by Jesus into two things. Love God. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two pillars of human flourishing. And as I always love to point out, interestingly, they make the shape of a cross. The vertical is inseparable from the horizontal. And this is so distinctive because cultural views of flourishing, cultural views, not biblical, cultural views of flourishing tend to be self-focused, inwardly fixated, all about what's in it for me. But biblical flourishing, in biblical flourishing, God's focus and fixation is about the good and well-being of everyone. Our Father's desire and promise is not just the saving of individuals, but the redemption of all creation so that none would perish. And this vision, God's vision for the good life, as we call it, stands apart, again, from all other views of flourishing because God's vision of the good life, as it was designed, as it has been made available in Christ, is not just for the select or elect few. It's not just for the privileged. It's not just for the successful. God's vision of this good life that he's designed and made available to us in Christ is to and for all people, men and women, Children and adults, educated and illiterate, rich and poor, slave and free. Here's the takeaway this morning. Here's all you need to remember. Biblically, we flourish when we help others flourish. We occupy the life God designed for us to live. We become the kind of people the Lord created us to be when we seek and promote the well-being of each other. I mean, think about it. This is the interpretive key, right, to God's intention for and relationship with the nation of Israel, the one nation God creates. The Lord intended, he states this from the very beginning to Abraham and never ceases in making this clear, the Lord intended for Israel to be a light to the nations, to the rest of the world, sharing the love, the grace, the truth born of following Yahweh, following God. And when, if you know the story, when Israel reflected the glory of God to others by acting justly and practicing mercy, she thrived as a nation. But when Israel only looked to her own interests and denied the glory of God through injustice and lack of compassion, the land and the people withered and ultimately fell into exile. The interesting thing is, if you remember this story, and we've talked about this before, that biblically we can flourish even when we struggle. We can flourish even in the midst of suffering and pain. We see that in Christ through the cross and the resurrection. But interestingly, even before that, in this part of the story, even when everything fell apart for Israel, do you remember this? God still encouraged them to flourish to thrive in the midst of their exile. And not only this, but the Lord also inseparably linked their flourishing with the flourishing of the people around them. 
If you don't remember this part of the story, it comes through the prophet Jeremiah. The God has been speaking, God has been speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, telling everyone, telling Israel what's coming. And when it finally comes to pass, through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord speaks to his people. He speaks to them, we're told, as they're weeping, they're bemoaning their life by the waters of Babylon, by the waters of their enemy and conqueror. God tells them as they're crying, feeling sorry for themselves, saying, it's over, man, game over. God speaks these words. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Notice this. Even though their circumstances have changed, The invitation is still the same as it was all the way back in the beginning as given to our first parents, Adam and Eve. What Jeremiah is saying in the name of the Lord here, in other words, is be fruitful and multiply. Occupy and enjoy this place. Occupy and enjoy this place even though it's not your home, even though it's not where you want to be. Live and flourish in this place by living the way I designed you, the way I've taught you to live. But the Lord doesn't stop there. Speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, God adds this. And I'm going to insert that beautiful Hebrew word that we've been using so this really t- stands out to you. God continues, seek the shalom of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if the city has shalom, you too will have shalom. Once again, biblically, we only flourish as much as we help others, our neighbors, to flourish. Now, I don't know if you can imagine yourself back then. Maybe you've been in a similar situation in your life where you found yourself where you didn't want to be. But back then and probably much today, this kind of message from God is not the one we want to hear. When when things are not going well, we don't want to hear, hey, you can flourish. And we certainly don't want to hear, you can flourish by helping others to flourish. We're like, what about me? Poor me. Look at what's going on in my life right now. Back then and still today, this message of how flourishing works, this this is not what we want to hear. But what's really cool is even though many, when Jeremiah gave these words, did not listen and follow what the Lord outlined to them, there was in the tent city of Babylon one young man in the crowd who did listen, who did listen to the Lord and reoriented his life accordingly, totally committing his life to working for the shalom, the peace and well-being of the great city of Babylon. And that young man's name, as you might recall, was Daniel. We've studied that book before. It's one of my favorite books because this story of Daniel, which encompasses a whole book of the Bible, is the story of just one person who chose to serve his city. Daniel, think about it, in using his, seeking to use his God-given gifts and resources, transforms the culture around him. He not only thrives in the midst of exile, but enables a rival nation to hear and experience God's design for this full and abundant life he offers us. Now, keeping the story straight, being truthful, ultimately, Babylon did not choose to follow the Lord's invitation. However, through Daniel's conscientious work, his Babylonian overlords still witnessed, they could not deny, the excellence of the Lord's vision for their shared future. 
Sometimes the invitation that Jesus puts out to the people among us that we express as witnesses is, does not always bear fruit, but that's not the point. We don't seek to flourish for the sake of what will, will happen to others. We seek to flourish because that's the way that God can work in other people's lives. We only flourish as much as we seek. We can't deliver it, the well-being of others. I just, I'm, I'm sitting in this space and I know I repeat it, but it, it's so important we get this. This gospel that we love, this gospel that we share, is so much more than a message of our individual restoration. It's so much more than a message of our individual salvation or our individual betterment. We know this, we say this, but we need to live it. Jesus came for the sake of all the world, for the whole of creation. When we follow Jesus, there's two things that are happening concurrently, and it's amazing. When we follow Jesus, we are simultaneously being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And therefore, at the same time, we're being called to be humble, compassionate, loving ambassadors for Christ, seeking the good of others. It's not one and then the next. It's both and at the same time. It's through the work of the cross and the resurrection that we're restored to a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. And it's out of this work through the gift of Pentecost, that we promote right relationships with each other. We advance the fullness and wholeness of living of all persons in the community. We flourish only as much as we help others, our neighbors, to flourish. We are called to work for the shalom of the city. Whatever or wherever city that is, we are called to work for the shalom of wherever God has put us. We hear the story of Daniel. As you keep your eyes on the screen, I want you to, to experience a brief story of an everyday person like you and me who in following Christ is seeking the well-being of the city where he lives. Just one block east of downtown Los Angeles is uh, one of the most dangerous, overlooked, marginalized places in the United States of America, and that's Skid Row. Uh, Skid Row is a place where horrible things happen all the time. Women and children are the most vulnerable to the crimes, but you also have gang members and drug dealers who sell drugs near rescue missions and uh, hinder efforts to help people in the area. This is where I work. This is where God called me to be. And I believe that with my whole heart. You know, the reality here is most people don't really like police officers. They're taught to hate us because they feel we're after them because of their social status or race or whatever. It's really hard to meet somebody you really want to help and have them reject you. Some of them hate my guts. And I really, truly, honestly care about them. I try to look at people the way I think God looks at people. And in spite of all our mistakes, God still loves us. So in spite of all the mistakes that a lot of the people in Skid Row have made, I want to show them that I love them and I want to help make their lives better. You got to get out of your car sometimes, remove your judgmental idea about who people are and 
what a good person should be, or, you know, and get out there and get to know these people. Because you'll find that even though some of them have a lot of problems, severe problems, mild problems, they're people. Let me feel them. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's it. That's the real deal right there. Look at you here. All right. Dion Joseph, call me Dion. They're told the police hate you. But I destroy that theory when I get out in that street because those folks will test you. If you say you care, they're going to hold you up to it. Okay, Joseph, you care? Put me in some housing. The Dion? Okay. Yes, oh, Dion. Real? Yeah. If you're interested in some 90-day housing? Yes. Yes. Okay. What I want you to do is Thursday. Go see my friend. She's, okay. a, she's a wonderful lady. Over time, the people see you for who you are, not what you are. They know I'm doing what I'm doing, not to harass them, but because I'm for them. All right? We'll do both. All right, let's take care. Hey, how are you? You know, you're a star. How you doing? Because you love this kid, Ralphie. I do, I do. Get to know people on an individual basis. I know their names. I know when they've been sober. I know when they're high. People always ask me, how can you work here? How could you sit here all this time? My faith in God is what keeps me from packing up and leaving town. This is my assignment. It's like a driving force that keeps me having faith in this community. You know, that says, don't let them go yet, Dion. Don't let them go. One person can be the very means by which God can change the environment. What's your mission? Where has God put you? What's your neighborhood? We thrive as a community when we together look for ways to strengthen the health of our neighborhoods, when we make them safer and humane, more humane places for people to live. And this is, again, not something we pursue out of our own power or ingenuity. You heard Daryl say it. I love that, how he points to his own struggle in the midst of it. But it's, we do this out of the empowerment and direction of the Holy Spirit. And here in Romans 12, you might have noticed the Apostle Paul offers us some insight about how our different skills and talents are actually gifts that God has given us. They're the mechanisms that bring us into community with one another. And as we each do what we are best at doing, we add all of us to the common good, and that's what God intended in fact, Martin Luther, from whom the Lutheran Church comes from, once put it this way, the first way to love our neighbor is to do our jobs well. To do our jobs well. It's as simple as getting up in the morning for your coffee and getting to that coffee shop and there's a line out the door and everyone's ticked off to high heaven and they're ripping the barista a new one. And you say, deciding instead of pouring on the anger and the hate to actually look her in the eyes and address her by name and remind her that she's a human being. It's as simple as going out to take your trash cans in once the garbage has been emptied and as you're taking in your third, noticing your neighbor across the street, a woman is struggling still with her first. And rather than going, oh, well, that stinks, stopping and going over and saying, let me help you bring those in. It's as simple as that, changing the environment. But it gets as deep and wide if in that same moment with that neighbor, you hear her name and you are willing to learn her story and you find out 
You find out about the ways that she's struggling and all of a sudden God speaks to you in that moment and he will and says, you can help. You can make a difference. You can respond. But then the choice becomes, will you? You know, I I look around our community and there are people that have, have come and gone, some that you may know, some that you're not. I think of someone in our community who went home to the Lord this past year, Alan Webb. And Alan Webb loved baseball, man. He loved the Dodgers. Go blue. Loved to play baseball, loved to teach kids how to play baseball, raised his own kids, coached them in baseball, but then all of a sudden became aware of a need, became aware of kids with special needs, and suddenly felt a tug from the Lord that he had gifts that he could use, not only for them, but for their parents, so they could know they could play too, so that they could know they matter too, and his whole life was spent with the Challenger baseball program until the Lord brought him home. I think about a man who also went home this past year, Chuck Merritt. Chuck Merritt, who used to sit in that second pew at our first service all the time, who 15 years ago was diagnosed with cancer. And many of us have been there. Some of us have loved ones who have. But Chuck engaged the reality of his cancer diagnosis profoundly differently. When he had to start going to those appointments, and he thought about going into that waiting room with all the other people who are going to have radiation or chemo, and again, how, and how horrific that is, and how fundamentally your whole life changes in that moment. Chuck went into that room and said, I am not going to sit there. And just simply live in fear, but I'm going to live out of my faith. And he had doctors from his memorial service that came and talked to talk to me about this. That Chuck would go into that waiting room on the days of his appointment, and he made it his mission before he went in to know everybody's name and to have everybody laughing. Laughing in the midst of cancer. Chuck even went further than that. When the doctors came to him in 15 years of having cancer and said, hey, you've got a cancer that's kind of unique and rare, and we actually have a test study that we'd like to do, and if you did this, this could benefit others that they could maybe have better results, not, and we could have the cancer in remission, but it's going to have side effects. It's going to mess with you. Are you willing to do this? Chuck said yes, multiple times. Chuck took something as horrific, as ugly as cancer, and said, I'm going to let that be a means by how I'm going to thrive. And in the midst of that, I'm going to make sure that others thrive too. One person, one place can change the environment. The vision for grace, if you haven't caught it yet, isn't for us to seek to build a bigger and better church. Under my leadership, I don't care about that. It's not about building a bigger and better church. The vision for grace is for us together to seek the kingdom of God and all its righteousness in this community, in our surrounding neighborhood where God's placed us, and in every relationship we engage. Because I fundamentally believe if that's what we keep our focus on, just as Jesus promises, everything else will come as a result of that. Biblically, flourishing is missional. It's priestly, it's outward focused. It's motivated on spreading God's glory throughout the earth. To follow Jesus means to care for others and work towards their flourishing in Christ. I know every generation has challenges to face. The daily news keeps reminding us of that, right? I mean, global and local events remind us all the time that there is always darkness. There is always evil. There's always sorrow and there will always be hate. But biblical flourishing as Paul eloquently outlines it here, means loving from the center of who we are in Christ. It means hating what is evil and clinging to what is good. It means loving our enemies and blessing those who curse us because every act of loving our neighbor is always and also an act of loving God. We thrive as we generously share what God has given us. 
our goods, our finances, our time, our talents, our hearts with each other. Yes, ultimately, we will not have a perfect experience of biblical flourishing until Christ returns. We live in a beautiful yet broken world. But the work we do in the here and now serves as a signpost, offers a glimpse, a taste of the way things will be. And that's why until Jesus comes back or brings us home, our calling is to work for the shalom of this present world to the glory of God, to work for the shalom of this present world by the grace of God, reweaving the unweaved fabric of our broken world. That's the vision of the future for grace. I pray you see it, I pray you share it, and I pray you join me in it. Amen.